Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. This is my habit because I like it so much. So there's some different words there. I'll try to remember to point them out, but the meaning's the same. We're going to be reading from verse 8 to verse 14 in chapter 5. We'll read the verses first, and we'll go back to the beginning. And um, I like this passage. I hope you do too. For you were once darkness, Ephesians 5, verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I, I went to King, New King James Version, sorry. So this is New King James. I'll just read right out of that, and then I'll speak at the New American Standard. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with fruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you sleeper, or excuse me, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay, that was New New King James. Now this is New American Standard. First verse, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have to be careful when we read the Word of God to ask questions, important questions. When it says you, it could be very dangerous to get that wrong. The you here is speaking to those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a personal relationship that they've entered into because they've come to God on God's terms, not on their terms, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the you are here. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't have a personal relationship with Him, of it, don't stick yourself in there. You're going to get confused. Okay, but it helps to understand who it's talking about, even if it's not you. Okay, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So there's a change that happened, and of course that happened when a person came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual transaction that took place. I'm going to talk about that. And you know what I love about the Word of God is when there's spiritual parallels built into creation, because we understand creation. A little bit. It's, but it's clear what we do understand. Birds fly in the air. That's pretty clear, right? They go and get seeds and worms and things, and they don't build barns. That's pretty clear. Well, there's a spiritual lesson involved that the Lord incorporates that creation story into a spiritual lesson, and I love that. Otherwise, it would be pretty difficult to understand some of the spiritual lessons that he, that he teaches without the physical illustration. You are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So also in this verse, you have a question, and it sort of seems strange. Doesn't it seem strange to you? What's the contrast here? It says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. Does that sound odd to some of you? You are darkness. You are light. That's unusual. It seemed more usual to me to hear you're in darkness or you're in the light, but it's not said that way. You that know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are light. Before that, you are darkness. So I'm trying, you know, I, I teach, and so I try to find ways to help 
convey what I think an important lesson is. What does that mean? How can I get a handle on that? Because it's very difficult to, I think. And I think of the, um, what we used, we used to say, would you say that you're in flesh and blood? That sounds unusual. Huh? Sort of sounds forced. I'm in flesh and blood. I am in flesh and blood. And you might say, what? That's crazy. What kind of talk is that? No, really, I'll prove my, I'll prove my point. But it's going to take a little while, I hope. Because when I die and you look at my dead body, you'll say, he's not there. Why? Well, because I have a soul and a spirit that resides in my body. But because we can't pinpoint it, we don't usually use the expression, you know, I am in flesh and bones. But there's such a close association between my soul and spirit with my body that it's normal and customary to say, I am flesh and bones. You are flesh and bones. Am I not right? Well, here there's such a close association with darkness describing he that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, describing as darkness he who is born into this world without spiritual life. He is darkness. She is darkness. And coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's such an association, close association with the Lord Jesus Christ that the Scripture is warranted in, in using those, those terms. You are light. And it's reinforced and backed up by Scripture. So that's very interesting. The close association that the Lord makes with darkness to those that don't know the Lord and light to know those that do. And it has practical ramifications. And we're going to think about those this morning. But before we do, let's learn something about light. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I know we have some in the audience, so bear with me. I'm going to give a real simplistic version of this. And if you want a more sophisticated explanation, you can seek those people out. So I think I got a handle on the basics here, okay, light. And I, you know, I like to do research, so I look it up. Light. The bottom line is, without light, there would be no sight. Okay, God given, them, given us organs to detect light. They're marvelous. The visual ability of humans and other animals is the result of the complex interaction of light, the eyes, and the brain. Pretty simple. Right? I don't have to be a scientist to understand that one. Maybe all the details I do, but not just the way it's said. We're able to see because light from an object can move through space and reach our eyes. And God made these things really good at picking up light. Not just black and white, shades of gray, but color, which I really enjoy. The objects that we can see can be placed into one of two categories. Luminous objects and illuminated objects. Okay, so I look at the light, which one is that? That's luminous, putting out light. Right? When I look at the door, it's not putting out any light. It's illuminated by the light to my eyes, and I see, oh, there's a brown door. Okay. Very interesting how those work hand in hand. Illuminated, illuminated, luminous objects are objects that generate their own light. Illuminated objects are objects that are capable of reflecting light to our eyes. The sun, obviously, is an example of luminous light, a luminous object, while the moon is illuminated. The moon doesn't have any light source of its own. It reflects the light from the sun. During the day, the sun generates sufficient light to illuminate objects on earth. Blue skies, white clouds, green grass, the colored leaves, the, the colored leaves of fall, the neighbor's house, the cars approaching at the intersection, they're all a result of the sun illuminating those objects which reflect. Without light from luminous objects, where would we be? Where would we be without light? Where would we be without sunlight? Um, 
marvelous, the whole idea of light. Color, color. If you think about color, what makes an apple red? You know, when you hear about it, you might, maybe you wouldn't want to hear about it. <laughs> what makes an apple red? Have you ever thought about if a red, you know, they always have that question about, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around, would it still make a sound? Well, if you put an apple in the dark, is it still red? Would it still look red? Really, the answer is no. No. It's incredible how it works because light can be broken up into different wavelengths that are represented by different colors. How many people have seen a rainbow in the sky? Rainbows are pretty, aren't they? Especially if you see the whole thing. Well, that's where the clouds work together with the light of the sun, and it breaks it down into the different wavelengths or the different colors. Very interesting. You put all those colors together, and you have white like, like, like we have now. The best light, they say, is in broad daylight at noon, because that's the closest you get to an even distribution of the different colors together to make white light. You know, there's the red, the green. I don't know all the basic ones, so I better stop there. <laughs> Maybe green's not even one of them. But <laughs> so what happens when the light hits the apple? Well, let me read it. This is interesting, because this is a real simplistic explanation, and it speaks in personal terms. So you might say, that's, that's silly. Apples don't do that, but they do. It's just not the same way. Does an apple look red in a pitch dark room at night? The answer is no. However, the same apple may look red when a light is turned on or during the daytime. This means that we need light here, white light, to see color. Why does an apple look red instead of blue or yellow? Materials such as apples, cars, clothes have preferences for color. I mean, I wouldn't tell somebody that, hey, that apple has a preference, but let's just think of it that way. It'll be fun. Just like we do, they have a preference color. When a certain material is exposed to light containing various colors, white light, which is, remember, a mixture of the spectrum, it takes in and keeps only the favorite colors. So an apple does have favorite colors, but red's not one of them, at least not this apple. Okay, it's a phenomenon called absorption. So in a scientific term, it absorbs the frequency of light, everything but red, if it's a red apple. And in that case, it's going to reflect that one here. It rejects that one. I don't like that one. Kick back out. So it reflects it, and that's what we see. It's a red apple. Okay? Because it's absorbing all the other colors in the spectrum. The only thing left is red. You know what's interesting? If you get a red filter and look at a red apple through a red filter, guess what color you'll see? It'll be a black apple. Because now that only color that reflected off the apple, now you're, now you're filtering that out. It turns into a shade of gray. Okay? Like a black apple. Doesn't sound too appealing, does it? Okay, so um, when certain materials are exposed to light containing various colors, they take in and keep certain color spectrum lights and they reflect certain. You know, and there's even a whole area of science where you can, you can discover what material you have by what reflects and what absorbs off that material. So think about this. I mean, when you think about it, because this is what I love about creation. You take something God's made that we, the scientists are starting to unravel it for us and we start to understand it in simple terms, even like these simple terms. But it's got a spiritual parallel, you see, spiritual parallel. Um, the whole science of discovering, well, what do I have here? What's this material made of? Well, let's shine some light on it, and let's see what happens, okay? See what's accepted, see what's rejected. We'll be able to tell what it is, maybe even the density of it, the composition. So color, light is important. It's important. 
So in other words, an apple prefers blue and green and dislikes red when it's exposed to white light. It will absorb blue and green and look like red, which is a complementary color. So they have complementary colors are the ones that, you know, they reject, they get reflected, and that's the way we see them. Okay, the fact that color makeup of light can change. Okay, so something's interesting, too, because, you know, in the Middle East, they have dark shops. At least a lot of them are dark. So you're going in there to buy something, and it's like, man, what's this? You're, you're, you're squinting because you can't really see, well, does it have any defects? Is that what, really what I want? So you know what they'll do more often than, we'll, than we do here? I'm going to take this out in the sunlight and look at it. And then they can see what they have, right? That makes sense. In the dark, it's hard to see. Well, it's interesting because the best, like I said, sunlight, or the best light is sunlight in like noonday because it's got an even spread across the spectrum of colors to make up the white light. But, you know, our brain can compensate. Let's say you're in a light where there's the color spectrum on this end of the chart is deficient. This, is, this end is more heavy on this end. You're still going to see that as white light. But it's not going to be the same color shade of red. You might say, well, that's not a nice red apple like my red apple. You, know, you just happen to look at yours at noon in the outside. I looked at mine like at 5 o'clock in the evening in my backyard in the shade. It's going to give it a different appearance. You know? So when, and we're going to learn you know, in the scriptures, Jesus said, he's the light of the world. You know, who do you think can make the perfect light? I mean, we make lights all the time. We have uh, incandescent light, fluorescent light. We have LEDs, light-emitting diodes. And they make things look different, don't they? So you might see a different shade that somebody else sees. Well, the spiritual realm has that same parallel. And the thing is, the perfect light source is none other than God himself. God himself. Because he will shed light on something to show the truth of it. It can't be disputed. And you might look at it through the shade of your filters, and it might look different to you. And that's because... It's, you're not one of these people it's talking about, where it says you are light. You see, because the light source for the Christian is the Spirit of God that resides within. And another guide is the Word of God, Jesus being the living Word of God. We have all the light focusing on anything God wants us to look at. And so we can look at it accurately as long as we remember. Let's hold it up to the Word of God. Let's look at it through our God-given light. Okay? Okay, so light. Um, there's a new word I learned. I like to share new words. I don't use them often because it makes me sound smart, smarter than I am, but it's absorbed geometry. Absorbed geometry. It's a method of chemical analysis, which is finding out what something is, in which a sample of substance, which is anything, is exposed to electromagnetic radiation, which is light. I think like, there's big words in here, huh? And the amount of radiation absorbed by the sample is measured. This measurement is then used to determine the concentration or chemical composition of the substance. Absorbed geometry is used in medicine to measure bone density. So that's another way of saying you shine light on something and you can tell what it is. Now that has a spiritual parallel because that's what the Word of God does. And that's what the Christian should do because that's what this, this passage is going to tell you, tell us. Okay, what's darkness? We talked about light. What's darkness? Darkness is just the absence of light. That's all, just the absence of light. Um, either, if you have light, you, ha you can't have darkness. Okay? Darkness prevents us from seeing things clearly. It hides reality from us. 
And I can remember being in Cave City. You know, before I went to Brazil for the first time, Rick Bellis took me on a cave exploration. It's called Splunking or something like that. We went, we went in a hole in the side of the mountain in Cave City, and we came out the other side. And it was like six and a half hours crawling through that underground lake that we were supposed to paddle across. I said, I want to swim across this. They OK. And we had these lights on our helmets with batteries, and we turned them all off. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face down in the earth. There was no lamps, you know? That's dark. So we were just hoping all our batteries didn't go out at once. <laughs> It'd be a hard time getting out of there, right? And there were some drop-offs that were like underground cliffs. And of course, underground lakes you can stumble into. You wouldn't know which direction to swim because where's the side? You can't see it. That's scary. I remember being in Brazil on some dark cloud-filled nights where there was no, no color from the stars and you couldn't see very clear at all. I mean, there's some real dangers you can get yourself into. So you look forward to the light. Matter of fact, up in the north of Brazil, they're on, they're on the time, the clock of the sun. Sun comes up, they get up. Sun goes down, they go down. Because they don't have lamps out there. You know? And that little kerosene lamp doesn't carry very far. So light's important. Darkness, it hides the dangers that threaten our well-being, even life itself. And life enables us to see clearly. We can see where we're going, we can see what we're doing, and we can have a fuller awareness of what surrounds us. Turn on a light in the dark room brings darkness to an end because light always overcomes darkness. I, in my house, I have a habit of getting up in the middle of the night, and I don't like turning on the lights. And I don't know if it's because I'm part Scottish, but um, I know where things are. I know how many steps down my stairs. I know where the light switches are if I need them, and I can make it all the way down to the kitchen. And I, under the counter, there's a little, like, 12-watt light I can turn on. You know what's a drag is when sometimes, especially on the stairs, that somebody puts something there. <laughs> and the pet peeve of mine is when it's in a walkway. Because, you know, those walkways, to me, they're like corridors of safety in the pitch dark. So my wife might ask, well, just why don't you turn on the light? <laughs> it won't bother me. I don't know why, I still can't, I just naturally don't do it, but darkness, darkness. It says you were dark, darkness, right? Were darkness. Think about that, I think about illustration in creation, which is sort of cool. Anybody ever see astronomy? And they have this thing out there called a black hole. Black hole. You know what a black hole is? I don't know a real complicated definition, but what I understand that this is so black and so heavy, I mean, the gravitational force is so strong, it'll pull light right into it and not let it go. Thus, a black hole. You know? That sort of describes us before we came to know the Lord, a black hole. Any truth come our way, we'd suck it in and not let it out, and it would like, wouldn't go anywhere. It'd just be black, blackness of darkness. 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 Jesus said this. He said... In John 8, 12, he said, Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So we had the backdrop of creation. What is light in creation? How did God make it? How does it work? Just a very simplistic uh, explanation of it. But now let's look at what Jesus said. He says, I am the light of the world. You were formerly darkness. He's talking about a spiritual truth. Spiritual light. And when Jesus, God, took on human form and came to this world from heaven, which is Jesus Christ, 
He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Now, what does light cause people to do? <laughs> well, it says here, it says in John 3.19, it says, and this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Darkness rather than light. You know, the illustration I think of is, you know, a, a, a very real illustration in my mind because it was in Brazil they have cockroaches about two and a half, three inches long. They're big. And I like to tell people you've got to be careful when you step on them. You've got to stomp hard so they don't walk away with you on top of them, you know. <laughs> that won't really happen, but you'd think they would because you can crush them and you can hear the crunch and they'll still walk away. Yeah. And, um, and so for a guy that's just up in the Amazon, Fred from California, how big are our cockroaches? About an inch, maybe? I don't know. Maybe you guys have seen some big ones. I haven't. So when I seen these things, I was like, whoa, any kind of little something crawling up your skin, you think it's one of those and you want to jump. But first time I saw them, I can remember I, was, I had to clean out a, a drain in the yard and I pulled the drain off. There must have been 200 of them. I mean, 200 of them. And guess what they did as soon as I took the top off? They were gone. And they didn't come out in the light. They went down further into the pipes, both directions. They do not like light. And that's where in, in Brazil I learned, you know how I like to walk with the lights out at night? And I like to go in the refrigerator at night, and I'm walking across the kitchen floor, crunch, crunch, oh. Turn the light off, on, and all of a sudden the wall, they're scurrying. I mean, there's like about maybe 10 of them. You know, scurrying for some dark crack in a corner on the side of a, a cabinet or something. I'm thinking, maybe I should turn the light on. <laughs> so that is one place where I learned to turn the light on when I, before I walked in a room. And... Uh, Ever think about that? Why do they scurry for the darkness? Why is it they don't like the light? There's other creatures that like the light. That live, these don't. They like the darkness. It's instinct with them. To them, there's danger in the light. So they seek the darkness. And you see, that describes men. It says, men love the darkness rather than the light. It's like we were all a bunch of cockroaches. And I know that doesn't sound pretty, <laughs> And I'm certainly not trying to offend anyone, but at the same time, let's not flatter ourselves. It says that we love the darkness. Our instinct was to hide from the light, to not be exposed. Why do you think it is when you speak to somebody about the Lord or about God, about church, they change the subject or all of a sudden they have to go somewhere? You know, you might ask them and I have them, what do you have against God? I don't have anything against God. I just got to go do something, you know. See, they're scurrying for the darkness, and they don't even know why. It's instinct with them. And it was instinct with us, too, before we were brought to the place in our life where we said, you know what, maybe I need to come into that light. Let's find out what's, what's there. You know? What's there is truth. What's there is the exposure of all darkness. You know? And that's coming to God in God's way. You know, people are afraid to come to God because they have these preconceived idea of what he's like. But if he has the truth and we're in darkness, where would you rather live? Out in the light or with the cockroaches, you know, in the darkness? We weren't designed for that. We weren't meant for that. Something happened, you know, something happened in creation, the fall. And we all inherited a sinful nature and we're all born into darkness. But it's not God's will that we live in darkness. 
It's God's will that we come to the light. And when we do, He sets us free from the darkness. And He gives the Spirit of God within us so that we are light. And what does that mean? First of all, let's read one more verse. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, The God of this age, which is Satan, God, small g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When you talk to somebody, if you know the Lord and you want to talk to somebody about the Lord, the Bible says that Satan has blinded their eyes. It's going to take a miracle for their eyes to be open, and God's going to have to do it. And so we have to be sensitive to be in step with God and not try to bold somebody, bowl somebody over, not try to ram God down their throat. It doesn't work. And, and so when I see, well, I keep witnessing the person, they just never listen. You know, that's natural. They're blind. Try to, try to describe to a person born blind to where they really understand and comprehend a color, like green. Never seen green? Try to explain that one to them. That's like trying to explain, you know, strawberry pie to someone that doesn't have taste buds. You can't do it. And so when somebody, when we're born in darkness, it takes a miracle to open our eyes. So we need to remember that. Uh, John 14, 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not, may not remain in darkness. That's why Jesus came. Darkness that we come to the light. And it says of us that know him, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. And then it says, walk as children of light. Children of light. That's very important. God left us here for a reason. Because there's still people that are walking in darkness. And how are they going to come to the light if they have all these wrong preconceived ideas of what God's like, what the Bible's like, what Christians are like, what churches are like? Like when we invited Tracy uh, McCormick out to church after that rescue, she says, Eric, she says, what did she say? She says, I'm not, I'm not used to going to church. She says, will I be welcome there? <laughs> yeah, you'll be welcome there. I think we bowled her over with kindness. She walked away like, Wow. Christians are nice people. I wonder what her idea was before that. You know? Well, they should be. You know, if they walk in the light, and the, the, the fruit of that is going to be what we're going to see down here, it's goodness, righteousness, truth. Goodness refers to moral excellence. Walking in the light. If we are light, like the Scripture says, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are light, Walking in the light, you're going to demonstrate goodness, you know, moral excellence. Think about moral excellence. That's really gone to pot in our society. We've lost all moral anchorage. If you don't believe me, look at this. Two weeks ago, this is August 23rd, 2013. Two weeks ago, and this is for you that have your kids in public school. You need to know this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Two weeks ago, Governor Jerry Brown signed the Landmark School Success and Opportunity, or SSOA, into law. Sounds good, huh? Making it clear that California public schools have the responsibility to ensure that all their students, regardless of their gender identity, can accept or can access school-based resources. That sounds good, doesn't it? Non-discriminatory? Well, let's just see what those school-based resources are. 
While several of California's largest school districts have already adopted gender-inclusive policies prior to the bill's passage, many of the state's nearly 1,000 school districts unfairly separate transgender students from their peers or require them to enroll in and attend classes that conflict with their gender identity. The SSOA clarifies the state's existing non-discriminatory law and protects, and protects some of the most vulnerable mem members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or the LGBT community. Long story short, you can read if you want, is that starting January, transgender or gender identity, or whatever you want to call it, they could use each other's bathrooms. Locker rooms, you can't have girls sports, boys sports anymore uh, because you can have a transgender join that. So if you have little girls that are using the restroom, you can have little boys that think they want to be little girls using the restrooms. And that's law now. So I'm not here to make any further comment on this. You, you probably know how I feel, but holding the scripture up in our society being a light in the world means that you can't help but see, one, we've lost all our moral anchorage and support. The world does not know what's morally right and wrong. Woe to him who calls evil good and good evil. We know, and we have a right to say it, because we don't dictate what's moral. God does. And he does so right here. Only God has the right to say what's right and what's wrong. And things are right and things are wrong based on what he says. But darkness doesn't accept that. Darkness just... La, 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 la. They don't want to hear it. Okay. But that doesn't, that doesn't absolve us from, first of all, living a morally upright life. And when we don't, we're not living the truth. We're not living the light that we're called to live in. Righteousness is wealth. It says righteousness consists in all. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So righteousness, living in integrity before God and men. Say what we do and do what we say. Integrity. And truth, the absence of deception or falsehood or hypocrisy. Living in darkness means they really don't want to hear the truth. We didn't want to hear the truth until we were ready to. What is the truth? Well, you know, I don't know what it was, but when I came to know the Lord, I wanted to hear the truth. And I wasn't, here to, I wasn't afraid of how ugly it might be because I had a pretty good, accurate idea of how bad I was. And I wanted to find out what God had to say in the Bible. I was at the point where I wanted to well, come into the light Let's see what's there. The Bible says that I was a sinner deserving to go to hell, and I had no problem with that one. To the surprise of the person sharing that with me, because most people have a problem with that one. Do you believe, and I, you know, sometimes I ask Christians this, and they're not very well taught. Do you believe you deserve to go to hell? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes. Some people say, well, no. Why not? Well, because I accepted Jesus. Well, you know, I accepted Jesus too, but I still deserve to go to hell. It just so happens I'm not going there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because of what he did on the cross. Not, I didn't stop deserving it. You know, that's, I like to be very accurate with my words. I deserved it. I still deserve it. I'll always deserve it. 
And the only reason I'm not going there is because of what he did on the cross. That's 100% salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not 99% what he did, 1% what I do. Because that 1% will take me right down there. Okay? So, um, and other people will re- redefine the question. You know, people don't like to come into the light until they're ready to. But that's why the Lord came into this world, and that's why he left us here. That's why he left us here. Okay, so it says in verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, because somebody might ask the question, how does one walk as a children of the light? Okay, how do I do that? Well, two things are listed right here. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And the way this is written, it's not saying, like, yeah, I'm trying as hard as I can to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. That's not what it's saying. Trying is talking about examination. Like when you put something on trial, you try it. So the question really translates into, am I examining my life? Am I sitting down at the end of the day and say, did my life please the Lord? I don't have to wait till the end of the day. I could do it at any time during the day. The more frequent, the better. Am I, is my life pleasing to the Lord? Is there something in my life that does not please the Lord? If I examine my life, and I'm sincere with the desire to be changed of the Lord, that's walking as a child of the light. Walking in the light. But, you know, and I have to confess there are times in my life I didn't do that. And this is a reminder to me, you need to do that, Eric. You need to do that on a regular basis. Examine your life. Ask the question. And you know enough about the Word of God to give a pretty good answer, yes or no, whether you're pleasing to the Lord in this area or that. We're well taught here. And if you have any doubt, just ask somebody that is. Hey, do you think this is pleasing to the Lord? I can remember when I went to Mexico on a short-term missionary crusade. It was only 10 days. You can't get much shorter than that. But we drove down to Mexico, and Jim McCarthy was there. Eric Weaver was there. There's a bunch of people there that are still around. And um, I had a motorcycle, and I needed to sell it. I tried to sell it for two years, and then I got saved. And this was maybe eight months after I got saved. I still couldn't sell it. And it was a Harley-Davidson it was on the front cover of Street Chapter back in the, Street Chop back in the 70s. It was a show bike. And on the, on the tank, it had a picture or a caricature of the devil with a pitchfork, flames. And the title of the bike was, described my life at the time, Hellbound. So that's what I rode around. That's what I couldn't sell. Thinking, Man, why I, the Lord doesn't want me to have this thing. Why can't I sell it? I thought I reduced the price sufficiently, you know? Until he asked me, see, this is examining your life. Are you pleasing to the Lord? I thought that was pleasing to the Lord until this dear brother said, Eric, he says, what's it say on that tank? It says, hellbound. And do you think God wants you to sell it? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Have you considered whether he doesn't want you to sell it with that picture on the tank? <laughs> I'm going, duh, you know, hello, Eric. You know, master of the obvious. So, okay, now I get it. Now I know what pleases him. Get that thing off the tank. What was a $500 paint job? And back that, probably today's standard could be compared to about a $2,000 paint job. This is back in the, in the early 80s. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to take that off there, whatever it takes. Take paint stripper, I don't care. I'll take a belt sander to it. But I heard that if you're careful with lacquer paint job, you take wet sand it with some fine paper, and you can take the surface stuff off, find out what's underneath well, I took the surface stuff, and there was a nice paint job underneath. And then I clear lacquered it, and it looked pretty good. Still couldn't sell it. Guy looked at it. He goes, well, I'm going to go to the shop and look at the, 
the bike's there. If I can find something better, I'll get it. If I can, I'll come back and buy your bike. And I knew that shop was going to undercut me. And I wasn't asking a lot, but I just knew the guy. So at that, that evening, my brother, I told him what I was doing, you know, because I, I like to witness. And uh, he says, so you remember that plexiglass board that you put it in the show and it said, Hellbound, owner, Eric Sorkin, and all the details, the specification of the bike? Yeah. You still got that. It's on the side of the freezer. I go, oh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> I took that thing and smashed it up into pieces, threw it away. The guy was back within an hour, and he paid my, ask, my asking price. <laughs> Isn't that exciting when you see the Lord working like that? And it all comes down to listening to somebody that's evaluating your life. Look, this is what you're doing. You think that's pleasing to the Lord? No, that's obvious. I didn't think about it before. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do things, and we don't really consider an angle that somebody else sees. So that's why it's good to share our lives with one another, you know? And it leads to our own happiness, if you, if you know the Lord. So that's one. Examine your life. See, does it please the Lord? Am I what I'm doing pleasing the Lord? And then here's the second one. And don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. You know, Christians can participate in the, un, the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Uh, they can participate in things they don't have to participate in. You know, so, well, I want to witness to people. Well, how's it going? Well, I haven't witnessed anybody yet. It's been five years now. <laughs> you know, I know that, that you have to get over, we, we have to get over a fear of rejection and all that to witness, but if I'm in the arena of this unfruitful deeds of darkness, what kind of witness can I be? You know, um, Notice here it says uh, it's disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done them by them in secret. Really, to me, that's an indication. You know, I'm a firm believer there's two witnesses that we have to present to live in the light as children of the light. One of them, and the most important, is the Word of God has to be presented. We have to get the Word of God out, you know. We have to use the Word of God. We have to quote the Word of God. We have to apply the Word of God in conversation. Now, if somebody's not open, we have to consider if we're casting our pearl before swine. We need to hold back. Like my friend that I saw at the show yesterday, Rick Guzman, we can pray for him, cussing up a storm. And that didn't stop me from talking with him. But I didn't witness to him at that point because I had in the past... And I want to get together with him in the future. So if I had at that moment, I don't think I might have that opportunity so soon in the future. But I'm looking for opportunities. And I'll throw a little bait out there every once in a while. I'll mention the Lord, mention something about the Word of God, mention something about how, an answer to prayer. People like to hear about answer to prayer. <laughs> it's sort of non-threatening. But then it gets them thinking, wow, where's God in my life? So there's the Word of God, but then there's the life. Living the life. You know, if you're living as a child of the life, it's going to come out of you. Kindness. You're going to be kind to people. You're going to be kind to people other people don't feel like being kind to. You're going to genuinely be concerned for people, and they're going to perceive that. Why is it that you care so much about other people? Well, I can tell you that one. It's because God cares for me. Jesus died for me. That's all you have to say. Just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, that's shedding light into darkness hoping that a person will want to come to the light. 
So there's the spoken testimony using the Word of God, and there's living the life. If you have this and don't have this, people are going to pick up on that in a heartbeat. Sometimes you have to have this presented to them for quite a while before you can get over to here with the Word of God. You know? I mean, I was, we were just, I was talking back there with, with Jake. He's had the same experience I've had, and that is, you know, he's in construction, welding. I'm in construction, and people don't have the cleanest language in those fields. <laughs> and I've had people apologize for swearing when I've never once upbraided or corrected somebody for it. Now, why do they do that? <laughs> they perceive there's light there. This guy doesn't swear. He's different. And they feel guilty for doing it. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. Enough to, for me to perceive that this is the light that God's talking about. Let it shine. Moving on real quick. Coming to the end here. Uh, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. So when we're living a life that we seek to please the Lord, when we're turning away and not participating in unfruitful deeds of darkness, when we turn away from conversations that aren't edifying, we are exposing those things. They know. They know that's, that we don't, you know, God doesn't approve of it, that, that, that uh, we're shedding light on it. It says, for this reason, uh, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think God's calling us to wake up. He calls me to wake up every morning. And I'm not talking about get out of bed. It's like, well, is today you're going to live better than yesterday? Today are you going to seek to please me? Today are you going to look for opportunities? You know, I can be lazy just like the next person. But I'll tell you the thing, there's nothing more exciting that after you obey and you mention the Lord and there's some response, or even if there's no response, you go, you go to bed feeling pretty good. Well, I, one, one more time I obeyed him, you know. Maybe that'll reach somebody. You know, it's interesting because you can think whether you think individually or you can think of a church. And I just want to tell just one illustration and then one story before I close this up and another verse. Um, Barnhouse put it this way, and I learned something new. I, I remember this illustration, but there's an element I never considered, and I hope you'll um, re uh, recognize its significance. It says, when Christ was in the world, he was shining like the sun. He said, I am the light of the world. Sun's pretty bright. So bright you can't look at it without going blind, right? When the sun sets, the moon comes up. Right? So one's illuminated light, the sun. The other's reflected light, the moon. How many people like when there's a full moon out there? It's pretty light, isn't it? And when no moon's out there, it's pretty dark. Well, I mean, here in the Bay Area, it's not because we got all this artificial light. But if you go out in the countryside away from all this, it can be really dark especially on a cloud-filled night where you can't see any stars. So the moon really reflects the sun. So in the absence of the sun, the moon reflects the light from the sun, and that's the picture of believers, picture of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing in Christ's absence, is reflecting His glory, reflecting His light. But it goes, God goes a step farther. Not only are you going to reflect my light, you're going to have my light in you. He says, you are light. But look at this, because we don't always do that, do we? We fail. The question is, how is it that we fail? What causes our failure? And it's the same thing that causes the, the moon not to shine. What causes the moon not to shine? 
only one thing, whether it's partial or whether it's full, it's when the world gets in the way. Is that right? Same thing with the believer. We shine or don't shine, or the amount we shine, light into this world is the indirectly proportional to how much we let the world block our view of the Son, the Son of God. See, when the world gets in the way, we're not good at reflecting light. We can't see it. So the question is, is that what we want? We have to identify, what is it in my life that represents that world, that represents that obstacle between me and the Lord that I can't reflect His light? Because there's people in darkness, just like a full moon. Illuminates the earth. That's what we want to be, individually and corporately. It says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. I just want to close with a story because the story is told of a lighthouse. Actually, it was a community of individuals that lived out near the ocean, near a rocky crag peninsula kind of thing. Frigid waters. And the sea was tempestuous all the time in that area. And there were a lot of ships that went aground in the rocks. And people were cast into the sea and a lot of sailors died. But there was a group of people that wanted to do something about it. And so what they did is they, they, they got together and said, let's build a lighthouse. And let's, let's have a rescue crew pull the people out of the water that end up in the water. And so they did. They sought government assistance. They got a lighthouse built. They bought boats. They got training on how to operate the boats and how to safely navigate those shores, how to rescue people, and they carried out a rescue mission. And they found through the years, that less and less ships ran aground there because of the lighthouse. Less and less lives were lost that went into the ocean. And so they were really excited about what they were doing, and people were coming far and wide to take notes and find out how they did it because they wanted to do something similar. And then as the years rolled on, they, they really enjoyed it so much, they said, you know what, we're spending so much time here, let's make the place a little bit better. You know, like let's put carpet on the concrete floors. Let's put some decoration on the walls. They built a brand new kitchen with a commercial stove, new dishes. They got some recliners and some sofas, ping pong table. They made the place a really nice place to hang around. So they were there right close when the alarm went off and they can get to the people quicker. And then people started moving closer because now it became the center of the community. And so as the years rolled on, it started with this particular, particular bad storm and um, they went out like they did, and uh, they found out that there's some people that were holding, staying back. Well, we'll just get ready for the people to come, come in. You, you go out and get them, bring them in, we'll make sure everything's ready for them. And then afterwards, they'd rescued this you know, ship full of sailors, and, they'd, and then afterwards, they had a little argument saying, you know what, we, we need to do something about this because the carpet's muddy now, and you're tramping all the mud in on the carpet. So let's bring them in through the downstairs basement entry. You know, and they, the stove was getting, starting to get all messed up. And they were complaining. Each time more, they were starting to complain more and more. 
And there were more people and more people that, that, that stayed back to wait to receive those that the fewer and fewer people were going out to rescue. And then there was this particular storm that had a ship from a, from a foreign country. And they started noticing, wait a minute, when we set this up, we didn't set this up for, you know, say people from other countries. I mean, they don't even have the same color skin as we have. Don't speak the same language. That wasn't designed for this. So by and by, they decided that they were going to keep the lighthouse going and stop rescuing people out of the water. You see? And they, were, they, they started saying, you know what? The ones that were going out were saying, that's getting cold out there. Man, I, I, this is nice and warm. I think we'll stay in here. You guys go out next time. So they started arguing who was going to go out and save these people because it's no, so comfortable, you know, in the lighthouse now. And so there was, there was some disagreement because they, when they started making those changes, that group of, of, of them said, you know what? We're going to go start our own lighthouse. So they went down the peninsula a little bit, started their own lighthouse. And it was like it was at the beginning. And the ones that started that lighthouse were people that were saved out of the water. Surprising enough, right? And by and large, that original lighthouse was just, they closed the door, they turned out the, light, the lighthouse. And so I'm thinking about us as a church. You know, we've made this nice building. It's comfortable in here. And we've got to get out there and save people. Not that we're saving people. Obviously, God's saving people, but we need to bring them in to hear the Word of God. You know? Then if it means being out in the cold, so what? That's where I started out. <laughs> it means going out in the darkness, so what? Been there before. But now I'm going out with the light, carrying it with me in here. Let's pray. Lord, we do say thank you so much that you left the glory and the comfort of heaven to come out down to this dark world as the light of the world. And though men wanted to stay in darkness, Lord, you, you continue, you persisted. You died on the cross to save us that we might have the light. And you came after each one of us individually, Lord. We know there's a whole lot of people out there you want to reach still. So we just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to let the light that you've placed in our hearts shine. That we wouldn't be afraid to speak to others about Christ, quoting the word of God, invite people over to dinner so that they might get to know that Christians have Christ in their heart. Lord, we just pray that you would encourage us and challenge us to wake up in the morning and go to bed at sleep, to sleep at night, and not do that without asking ourselves, have I been pleasing to you today, Lord Jesus? And help us to be diligent about making changes in our lives when we see some things that aren't, so that we might burn more brightly for you in this world, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen.